Our second reading this morning picks up where the first one left off. Verse 20 of chapter 16. I'm reading from the ERV version. Hear the word of God. They brought Paul and Silas before the Roman officials and said, These men are Jews and they're making trouble in our city. They are telling people to do things that are not right for us as Romans to do. The whole crowd turned against Paul and Silas. The officials tore the clothes off both men and ordered that they be beaten with rods. They were beaten severely and thrown into jail. The officials told the jailer, guard them very carefully. When the jailer heard this special order, he put Paul and Silas far inside the jail and bound their feet between large blocks of wood. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing songs to God. Other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was an earthquake so strong that it shook the foundation of the jail. All the doors of the jail opened, and the chains on all the prisoners fell off. The jailer woke up and saw that the jail doors were open. He thought that the prisoners had already escaped, so he got his sword and was ready to kill himself. But Paul shouted, don't hurt yourself, we're all here. The jailer told someone to bring a light, then he ran inside and shaking with fear, fell down in front of Paul and Silas. Then he brought them outside and said, Men, what must I do to be saved? They said to him, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and all who live in your house. So Paul and Silas told the message of the Lord to the jailer and all the people who lived in his house. It was late at night, but the jailer took Paul and Silas and washed their wounds Then the jailer and all his people were baptized. After this, the jailer took Paul and Silas home and gave them some food. All the people were very happy because they now believed in God. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you for uh, this testimony, this uh, report of what happened in in times past. We thank you for your faithfulness and your willingness to bring the good news of the gospel uh, to Europe. We thank you that um, these people heard uh, the message from Paul and from Silas. Lord, we thank you that we can gather here uh, this day around this message and that we can be here in the presence of your Holy Spirit. We pray that by the power of your Spirit that our um, ears would be open and our hearts able to respond to what it is uh, that you have to say to us this day. Lord, we pray for those of our number who are not able to be present in this sanctuary this day. We pray that the fellowship of the Holy Spirit would be real to them. For those who are online, we pray that uh, the Word of God would be even communicated to them over that medium. Lord, we pray for Byron Crawford. We pray that you would uh, raise him up out of his bed, that you would uh, touch his body and heal his brain. Lord, we pray for the Crawford family as they come around Byron uh, during this time. We pray that you would strengthen them and encourage them uh, during this time of trouble. 
Lord, we pray that even in hard times we might recognize that you are in control of our lives, that you are preparing the way before us. And so we pray that even this time of suffering would be a time of sweetness and that you would bring honor and glory to yourself even as you bring comfort to your servants. These prayers we make in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. So initially the the um, title of this sermon was Salvation Trifecta. The way the bulletin comes together is at the beginning of the week, you know, we pull the, the readings together and I have some kind of guess about what the sermon's going to be. And sometimes in the course of the week as the sermon is being developed, it takes a, a different path than than I had initially envisioned. And I, I called it the salvation trifecta because there are in this reading three uh, vignettes uh, about people hearing the gospel for the first time and coming to the Lord Jesus Christ. We are going to talk about those three characters uh, next week, but this morning I wanted to uh, focus my sermon more narrowly on the story of Lydia. And so the the new title of of this sermon is the lord opened her heart the lord opened her heart now the people that are talked about in this series of vignettes are the very first european converts to christianity paul and silas are in macedonia what we would call uh greece today they're in the city of philippi The city of Philippi apparently has so few Jews, less than 10 males, that they don't have a synagogue. Uh, Paul goes to the riverside where he meets Lydia and some other women who are worshiping God. Lydia is a a worshiper of Yahweh. She may or may not be a a full convert to Judaism at this point. Um, But Lydia is the first European... To become a Christian. And so in some sense, Lydia is our first mother in the faith. Those of us uh, who have European ancestries. These three little vignettes bring to us the question of what is it that the church does when it enters the unchurched world? What is it that the church does when it goes into the unchurched world? Or what is it that the church is about essentially or fundamentally? Now we live 2,000 years after these events. The, The church has become a large and complex thing. The church does everything uh, in in one way or another. In a sense, all of Western culture uh, has been created by the church. The hospitals, the the universities, the literature, uh, our system of law are all all based in Christianity. And so, in in a sense, we move in an environment that is broadly Christian. But if you take us back to the very beginning... When the church is first launching into a world that uh, is completely alien to the church, into a world where there's not even a synagogue, what is it that the church does then? What is it that the church is all about? One of the ways to think about this is to be able to distinguish between the church and the not church. Between the church and the not church. Now there are are a lot of overlaps between the church and 
the not church. There are things that the church does that the the broader community does uh, as well. For example, we sing in church. Some people come to church because they they love to be involved in the choir. For example, there are also non-church choirs out there. The churches uh, offer uh, moral teaching, and and many people will send their children to Sunday school because they think that they're going to become more moral. But The secular world also has moral teaching. What is it that the church does uniquely? What is it that the church does alone? And that's what we see in these three vignettes. And the answer to that question is, it proclaims the path to salvation. The church proclaims the path to salvation. All three of these vignettes are about salvation. Just very briefly, we'll talk more about this uh, next time. The three conversions that we see here are of three very different kinds of people. Lydia is a middle class or upper middle class business woman. She's someone who already is a righteous person. She already believes in God, uh, but she needs to graduate to that next step to become a full believer uh, in Jesus Christ. The second character that we see in in these three vignettes is um, a girl who is enslaved. We today would call her trafficked. She's a, a girl who works for other men who sell her services. Uh, the boundaries between uh, being a prophetess in the temple and being a prostitute in the temple are very murky in this time. And so this is a woman, a young woman, who is a victim of, of larger powers outside of herself, and she has no knowledge of God. And she's in the service of very evil people uh, and of a very evil religion. The third character... Uh, in this story is a jailer. We would call him a corrections officer. This is a respectable member of the establishment. We don't know anything about his religious background. But these three very different kinds of individuals and families all come to Christ uh, during these early weeks of Paul and Silas's ministry uh, in Philippi. So what I want to talk about this morning and then expand on next week are some of the aspects or the features of the gospel that Paul and Silas bring uh, to Philippi. I've got five uh, ideas about the gospel that I want to lift up. Number one is that the gospel is a verbal message. The gospel is a verbal message. Secondly, the gospel message addresses the total person. Okay, the gospel message addresses the total person, intellect, emotions, and will. Third, the gospel message involves an invitation to respond to the message. Fourth, the gospel message has a promise of forgiveness of sins and eternal life. And number five, the gospel message has a human and a divine component that are both required for it to be received. Okay, so those are five things I want to talk about this morning. Let's begin with the verbal message. In verse 14 of our passage uh, this morning, we read, The Lord opened her heart to accept what Paul was saying. Paul is 
traveled this great distance. He has undergone hardships to bring a message. Now, I suppose if he could have just mailed it there, he would have mailed it there. But he takes himself and he takes a group of companions to go to this other city, not to start a coffee shop, not to uh, uh, open a soup kitchen, but to deliver a message. A message that had some kind of content, a message that he needed to explain, a message that he needed to be able to speak Greek to, so that uh, uh, speak Greek uh, uh, with, so that they could understand it. The message uh, is something that Paul is saying to them. The Sibyl, or the, the 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 young girl, the prophetess, in verse seventeen says, "These men are telling you." How you can be saved. Okay, so again, the gospel is a verbal message that Paul and Silas are communicating to whoever will try to listen. The jailer, verse 32. Paul and Silas told the message of the Lord to the jailer and to all the people who lived in his house. Okay, so at its most basic, the gospel is always... Uh, a message, we call, we call it the good news, it, it's, it's information that has to be delivered from one person to another. Secondly, this message, this verbal communication, addresses the total person. It addresses intellect, it addresses passions, and it addresses the will, intellect, passions, and will. So intellect is where we have to begin. You have to understand what uh, Paul and Silas are saying uh, for your will or for your passions uh, to be stimulated in any way. It's important to understand uh, the outline of the gospel or the basics of the gospel. Um, we as Christians uh, the, uh, had at some point in our lives... Uh, a moment when all of the elements of the gospel maybe came into focus for us. Um, it's it's wonderful being involved uh, in the work of Valley Christian School because you watch these children, you know, who are hearing a presentation of the gospel repeatedly over and over again, and you you begin to see it come together in their mind. They see how the different parts fit together. Well, there are these parts that have to be communicated, and th- those parts are addressed to the intellect of the person. When we come to church, we don't park our brains at the door. We bring our intellect and our reason. There is a basic content to the gospel. Maybe you could reduce it to this. Number one, that all have sinned. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 3.23. Secondly, the penalty for sin is death. All right. Romans 6.23. So you have the universal condition of sin, the problem of sin, and then you have the solution to sin. Christ died to pay for the penalty of our sin. In Romans 5.8 we read, God proves his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So those three elements, you might want to call them facts, are essential to the gospel. We learn them through reason and through the intellect. They're delivered to us in words. We need to have an understanding of the language to understand what those things mean. Uh, And so the message of the gospel is first addressed to the intellect. One can't say that they're a Christian if they don't understand what the gospel means, okay? They might be a good person. They might be someone who 
is interested in Jesus, but you can't call yourself a Christian if you don't understand uh, the fundamentals of the uh, of the doctrine of the church, if you don't understand the atonement. So the gospel does appeal to the intellect, but the gospel also appeals to the passions, or what we would call today the emotions. Jesus says, uh, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. There's no way to be a Christian without also loving God. You can't say that you're a Christian if you don't, if you don't, if you don't love God. Remember, uh, Jesus' conversation with Peter, uh, Jesus three times asks Peter, do you love me? He doesn't ask Peter, you know, do you believe that I'm the son of God? Do you believe that my death will be an atonement for sin? So, He's been with Peter for three years and he's trained him in all of the content of the gospel. So his intellect has been appealed to. He's got a mastery of the details of the gospel. But there's another question. Do you love me? All right. So the gospel appeals to the intellect. The gospel appeals to the passions. We can't call ourselves a Christian if we don't love God. We might believe things about God, but if we don't love God, we're we're not a follower of Christ. And um, the uh, gospel also appeals to the will. I'm going to talk about that in a little bit, but the will is the faculty of making choices, and the gospel always requires us to make a choice. Well, maybe uh, the way we go there is by talking about how the gospel always involves an invitation. Jesus, uh, in Revelation 3, uh, 20, says, Behold, I stand at the door and I knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in. Okay? You hear my voice... But you have to open the door. There's always an invitation to take some kind of action to, to do something with your will. Jesus, uh, in Matthew eleven twenty eight says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. He doesn't say, believe certain abstract facts about me, although he will require that, but to come to me, to leave where you are, and travel this distance to where Jesus is. To open the door and to let Jesus in. There is a invitation which requires a response. A response of the will. In John 1.12, which is the, that part of that uh, opening um, preamble uh, to that gospel. Uh, we hear uh, John write, To all who receive him... Who believe in his name, he gave the power to become children of God. To receive is to welcome into your house a guest. Okay, to be, to be a host to, to a guest. And so, in those, in those three little scripture verses, we, we see the invitation to open and to come and, and to receive. Alright, so the gospel comes and it appeals to our intellect. We learn certain facts about Jesus and about how the atonement works, but it also appeals to our emotions. We have to love God and it appeals to our will. We need to respond. Sometimes people get stuck at that response point. There are people who actually believe a lot of things about God, but can't quite get themselves to 
to respond. The, the gospel always involves an invitation to act, to respond, and to receive. Fourth, the gospel always contains a promise. What it's promising is forgiveness of sins. Peter, in his uh, 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 sermon uh, in Acts chapter 3, says, Repent and turn that your sins may be blotted out. Okay, so the the first part of the good news is the bad news that all have sinned and fall, fallen short of the glory of God. That's that's the bad news. Okay, there's no good news without the bad news. But there is this promise in the gospel that if we turn to Christ, our sins will be blotted out. It'll be as though we've never sinned. There's the promise of forgiveness of sins. There's also the promise of eternal life. Jesus himself uh, says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him would not perish, but would have eternal life. All right, So there is this promise of forgiveness of sins and a promise of eternal life. This is all part of the gospel. If you don't have these elements, we're not yet with the gospel. And number five, there is a human... And a divine component in the reception and the response to the gospel. There's both a human and a divine component in the reception and the response to the gospel. In verse 14, we read, Lydia was listening to Paul and the Lord opened her heart to accept what Paul was saying. There's there's the human word of Paul. Paul has been prepared to preach. Paul has been trained in the gospel. Paul studied under Jesus and under other of the apostles. And he's delivering this content. He's delivering it in Greek in a language that this woman can hear. There is a human component to his arguments. But there's also a divine component... In that God is the one who opens this woman's heart. One of the things that I constantly puzzle about, or maybe just wonder at, is how many people heard Jesus preach who didn't respond to Jesus. Met him face to face. Saw him preaching. Saw him doing miracles and still walked away. Okay? At the, at the time of the crucifixion, there were about 120 Disciples of Jesus. 120. How many thousands of people had he preached to? How many thousands of people did Paul preach to? How many followed? Alright. So there is this temptation as a preacher to think that, you know, if only my sermon were a little better, well, everyone would get saved. If only I would work on this sermon a little harder, maybe people would get the message. This is the, this is the human temptation to think that it all relies on the human side. And yet scripture is very clear about this. There is a human component. I mean, if Paul doesn't preach the gospel to Lydia, Lydia is not going to become a Christian. But Paul does preach the gospel to Lydia. That's a necessary condition, but it's not a sufficient condition. There's another condition that's required, namely that God opens her heart. Lydia was listening to Paul and the Lord opened her heart to accept what Paul was saying. There's an external call 
And there's an internal call. There's the external call, the human call, without which there can't be an internal call. Okay, the, the internal and the external have to be merged in some way. Uh, you, you recall in, in Romans chapter 10, uh, this is a, a passage that often, often gets dragged out whenever we're doing uh, preaching on evangelism and sending missionaries. This is 10, I'll begin at verse 13. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. But how are they to call on one in whom they haven't believed? And how are they to believe in one of whom they've never heard? Okay, so this is why we're constantly sharing the gospel with people who haven't heard it. It's why we spend, you know, millions and billions of dollars sending missionaries to other places. It's why the ch- the church sent Paul and Silas up up to Philippi to preach because. If someone isn't going to bring the human message to them, how is it possible for them to come to faith in Jesus Christ? There is an external call, and then God works through that external call and gives an internal call. Here's what Paul writes in 2 Thessalonians 2.14. 2 Thessalonians 2.14. To this God called you, to the Christian life, God called you through... Our gospel through our preaching so that you might obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ to this new life. God called you through our preaching. So God is the one who's calling through the preaching of the apostle. It's important for the apostle to go, but God also has to call. Jesus says in John six forty four, no one can come to me. Unless the Father who sent me draws him. Okay? So there is an external component to the calling of the gospel, but there's also an internal component to the calling of the gospel. Let me just close with a couple of uh, reflections here of for uh, us uh, as members of Huntington Valley Presbyterian Church. I'm wondering if you are able to... Remember that first time when you heard the gospel in a way that it came alive for you and you responded to it. That moment when you said, okay, yeah, I'm going to go to Jesus. Okay, yeah, I'm going to open the door to, I'm going to open the door to Jesus. All right. There's a period of time before you respond when you're, in a sense, kind of collecting information and you're learning more about it. It's a necessary preparation. That's the, the intellect involved. But at some point, if you're a follower of Christ, you made a decision. Your will, your free will said, you know what? I'm going to choose to follow Jesus. I'm going to choose to turn from my old life and to uh, choose this life. I'm, I'm going to choose to open open the door of my heart and let Jesus come in. Do you remember that moment? It's a... It's a sweet thing to reflect on. All right, that that moment. Now, for some of us, that that uh, that moment unfolded over the course of time. For some of us, it was more dramatic. All right, but it's good to remember that first time when you heard the gospel and responded to the gospel. I think another important question for us as as Christians, and it's it's. I think something that uh, the Stogie Society is increasingly uh, uh, feeling 
challenged uh, about is, are we able to explain the gospel to other people? Okay. Have we understood the gospel well enough to be able to explain it in a simple way, in a sixth graders way, to, to other people? I think it's an important thing for us to do. I mean, you know, in some sense, you know, they say that you, you learn things best by having to teach it to other people. Uh, one of the, one of the new elements that's entered the, the Stogie Society, this men's Bible study that meets uh, every other Monday, is we ask ourselves the question at the end of the meeting, who am I going to share this message with? Okay, like we're, we're studying a certain passage of scripture. And the first question we ask is, well, what does this tell me that I need to do next week? And then the second question is, who do I need to share this with? And we write it down. And then we hold each other accountable. Did you, in fact, share this message with your neighbor or, you know, with your, with your mother, whoever in your life? Are we able to explain the gospel to other people? All right. Do you know how to tell people to be saved? The church does a lot of things, but at its core, at its beating heart, is this message of salvation, okay? We're the only institution on the planet that has the words of salvation. A lot of institutions give fellowship, a lot of institutions do singing, a lot of institutions teach morals, a lot of institutions do good works, but we are the only institution that has the information needed for their salvation, for the forgiveness of their sins, and for the giving of eternal life. There's nothing more important that we can do. My prayer for all of you this day is that you have received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, that you understand about Him, and that you've responded to Him. You said, okay, I get this, and I'm going to say yes to it. Okay, that's a, that's a very important thing to do in your life. If you've done that, the next thing I would encourage you to do is think about who else in my orbit needs to hear this too. All of us heard it from someone else first. Who else in my orbit also needs to hear this message of salvation? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for uh, sending people to us. We thank you for sending uh, Brother Paul and Brother Silas all that long way to... Uh, bring the bring the good news of the gospel to Europe. Uh, we thank you for our uh, first mother in the faith, uh, Lydia. We thank you for um, opening uh, her heart uh, to you. Uh, we thank you for Brother Paul faithfully preaching, but we thank you for, by the power of your Holy Spirit, uh, enabling her to open uh, uh, her heart to your message. Lord, may that message be alive and real for us this day, and may we be sharing it with other people. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.